everybody welcome to another episode of the mondo show my special guest today is a writer producer speaker you are a voice for this generation welcome back to the orange couch pastor reverend bishop no I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the author of a brand new book titled woke jesus the false messiah destroying christianity lucas miles is back with us let's start with who is Lucas Miles. Where yeah. did you come from? How did you get to where now you're publishing books that are becoming number one? People are talking about you, good and bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is surprising, right? But anytime you disrupt the culture mm-hmm. or anytime you disrupt the conversation, people are going to talk about you. Yeah. But who is Lucas Miles? Where do you come from? How did you get to write books that are uh, shocking people? Yeah. So I'm from uh, South Bend, Indiana, kind of the greater area there. And I still live there to this day. My wife and I moved away for about two years when we first got married. And the Lord led us back. We planted a church uh, in South Bend. I've just been really blessed to to be there. Um, So our ministry is called Influence the Influence Network, and we've influenced church that's under there. Uh, And I've been overseeing that now for about 20 years. And so I started preaching very early. I was about 17, uh, 18 years old when I gave my first message. Um, And it's just, uh, I knew early on that that there was a call on my life. Uh, Certainly, I've not done it perfectly, but uh, just been blessed to, um, you know, just really enjoy the faithfulness and the grace of God to to live this out. Uh, I started getting into media, um, uh, kind of my late 20s. Um, there was a um, young girl that was on American Idol um, uh, at the time, and she had started coming to our church. And so my wife and I got involved with helping her and her husband uh, with their ministry a little bit. And that pushed me into producing music videos. Oh. And I later ended up doing a couple family-friendly films and these things. Uh, and so it kind of just started a journey. So uh, my TV show that I host on Epoch TV, it's called Church and State with Lucas Miles. We just finished first season. And it won program of the year at the National Ooh, Religious Broadcasters. Come on. Thank you. Very excited <laughs> about that. And um, it's uh, it's been an adventure. I believe that Christians should be at the forefront of media. We should be outspoken advocates for uh, biblical values and culture. Uh, we should be, you know, our ministry is called Influence Church or the Influence Network. We don't have an I in the front. It's just capital N. And I believe we should be influencers in this world. And uh, for the gospel, that's really what this is. So it's uh, it's been exciting. You know, what's exciting to me, Lucas, is that you found a voice. How did you find your voice? How did you position yourself for success, to find the mindset and say, wait a minute, I have a message, I have a voice, but this is step one and two. Can you give me that advice for those that are watching? I, I think two things that you have to do is you have to have your eyes open and you have to listen. And you have, to, you have to look at what's going on around you, you know, to look at culture, to see where it's going, what's happening, uh, to, you know, I, I, I'm not, you know, at every news story watching, but I try to stay up with what's happening. I try to stay involved with technology. You know, I, I, one of the things I do is I make almost daily videos on TikTok, and I'm sure China has all my information, <laughs> okay, but I don't have any money for them to steal anyways. Um, but but I, I, I make regular videos on there because I want to stay where culture, I want to stay where the, the youth is. I want to I be in that space uh, to be able to minister to them and to, you know, to uh, engage with them in that way. And so that's become one of my largest platforms, actually, that I have. Um, I think the other thing we have to do is we have to listen. We have to listen to the Lord. 
you know, because he's got wisdom for today mm. that he can give you on how to, um, on, you know, what, what he can do for that such a time as this sort of moment that we, that we all want to aspire to. And so, um, I, you know, again, I don't know if I'm doing that perfectly, but it's, it's, uh, it's been a wild ride. I tell my wife all the time, I said, I, I've never promised you a perfect life, but I have promised you an adventure, <laughs> you know, and we're, we're living out that, that God of adventure today. Boy, you're staying busy. You're all over the place. Everywhere i looking, I see <laughs> Lucas there, and you have become, I say this respectfully, a disruptor mm. in the Christian culture and the culture as we're speaking right now. Why do you believe? that God chooses the most unnatural ways to deliver a message yeah. that has become an unpopular message because the definition of Jesus has changed. Yeah. yeah. How did you become a disruptor? Mm. Because I believe that if God is going to call you, that if God is going to give you a message, if God is going to give you something that is going to change the way the culture is going, you have to accept that you're going to be a disruptor. Yeah. How did you know? That's a good question. And I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to push in deeper on Come your on. show than I do on other places <laughs> you, because you're a good host. And, and so, you know, a couple of things growing up, I think I always had a predisposition to, to, for leadership, to speak, to do these things. I think that I've always had to some degree, a charismatic personality to, to, you know, want to be the one to raise my hand or to talk. Um, but there was something in me that was actually preventing, I think, as I got into ministry early on, I, I started preaching at 17, planted a church at 24 that I still pastor to this day. Um, and we've gone through some iterations with that. But I, I had this people-pleasing oh. thread in me, this framework that I think really prevented me from, from coming into kind of that, that fullness that the Lord had for me. And, and that died a few years ago. And, uh, and every now and then those things try to, you know, it's tries to resurrect and you got to remind yourself and go before <laughs> the Lord. Like, the, the, look, I'm going to live for an audience of one. And, um, but, but it, it, that was something that held me back. And so I tell, I try to encourage people like, look, you have, you know, you have a call, you have a mission, you have a purpose that God's placed you here for, but you, ha you can't, you can't do that if you're trying to please everybody else. And I, you know, I talked to a lot of my, um, you know, people in the entertainment world that I've coached and things over the years as well as, and I would give the same advice to a politician or a pastor is as you're developing your craft, you also have to develop your heart. Oh, and if you just a, developed your craft wow. and don't develop your heart, you're, you'll become a one hit wonder, or you'll never make it to start with. If you just develop your heart and never develop your craft, nobody will ever hear about you, but you'll be a great guy. You know, you have to develop both of those simultaneously to be able to sustain the position that the Lord has for you. And uh, I tell that to myself every day, and we all have to live that out. Wow. Is Christianity good for society? 100%. Why? Uh, look, Christianity has held society together for you know, arguably the last 2000 years. I mean, it's, it's uh, Judeo-Christian values that um, uh, ended slavery, that, that ended the, uh, um, you know, uh, constant wars between neighboring nations and these things. It was the gospel that really put an end to a lot of that. Certainly we still have problems today and we have, you know, uh, uh, wars and rumors of wars that are happening all around us. Uh, but Christianity has, uh, uh, has been a huge improvement for society. Even if you're not a believer, even if you're an atheist, you should be for Christianity because it's been proven to make society a better place. 
Um, but I think that that we're starting to see that, that language change today. For the first time since the beginning of the gospel, we're seeing Christians villainized. And uh, I, I fear that if that continues, that, that persecution is going to be on the rise. What do you say to those that say the Christian ethical way of living, the moral ways of viewing life, and the theological ways are interrupting politics. They're interrupting culture. Yeah. Why are you forcing your beliefs in our culture? Stay away from us. And, and that's why I ask you, is Christianity good for society? Because when you have the other side say, don't force, yet, oh, this is an oxymoron, yet the same culture that's saying that is pushing their agenda. Yeah their ideology, their mm -hmm. morals. Mm -hmm. What do we do when that conflict comes yeah. to play a major issue in our society today? Because we're, we're at war. We're, whether yeah. we want to face it or not, yeah. I've heard you. We're at war. John Cooper. I yep. love John. John, <laughs> you got to come back. But what do we do with that? What do we do with why are we being told that we're forcing ourselves into this culture, stay away from politics, stay away from running, stay away from everything. Yeah. What do we do? Because yeah. we, we want to love people. You know, I think that, that it, there's a, there's a, there's a tension that people feel that is difficult for them to navigate sometimes. And I think even with politicians, especially, you know, struggle to navigate this. How do we have Judeo-Christian values as the standard and the basis for our laws in this nation? while not creating a theocracy. Because theocracy is bad. And theocracy, if you're not familiar with the term, basically it is a, a, a government that is ran by the church. We don't want that. We left that in England. This is the reason why this, this uh, American experiment started was to you know, flee from that because it gave preference to basically, uh, uh, you know, for, for, to use more modern language, it gave preference to a denomination over another and, and it, it started villainizing people that didn't have this specific doctrine. We want enough liberty in the nation to allow for differences, but we want enough agreement about standards and morality that prevents lawlessness and chaos. And I believe our constitutional framework provides that. I think our founders were led by the Lord, and I don't believe that the Constitution is, is you know, inerrant in the same way that, that Scripture is. Of course, we went through and we added additional amendments um, to, to give protections, you know, uh, uh, to, you know, to eradicate slavery, to, to give other protections you know, for people uh, as, as society changes. And, and, and that will happen more, I'm sure. It shouldn't happen easily, but it should happen more. Um, but, but they were led by the Lord in this and they, we do need to legislate morality to an extent. It shouldn't be right to murder. We need to make sure there's laws that prevent that. It shouldn't be right to, um, you know, uh, to, to violate somebody else's, you know, physical body. There should be laws against that. Uh, it shouldn't be right to steal from somebody. There should be laws against it. all of those laws. When we look at their moral origins, they come back to one thing and that is, that is the scriptures. That is the law of Moses. And again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. But shouldn't a woman have her right? Shouldn't uh, the person that wants to love the same sex have their right? How does that conflict with the moral and theological and ethical issues that the Bible deals with? Yeah. It's like reshaping the Bible to fit in for a Christian in, in, in church and the outsider that still wants to love God. Yeah. 
yet that conflict is there. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it was actually Matt Walsh that just addressed this here recently on Twitter. So I'll, I'll do my best to kind of, you know, quote from him is that, um, you know, he was talking about the comparisons that exist between the arguments for abortion and the arguments for slavery. Basically, it was, you know, uh, in regards to slavery, well, this is my property so therefore, I can do what I want with this person because they're mine. In the same way, we hear you know, the, the argument, well, this is part of my body, so therefore, if I want to abort it, I can. And, and so we're seeing these similarities of arguments. But look, the, the same bankrupt morality that was used to try to justify abortion is the same bank, or excuse me, that was used to justify slavery is the same bankrupt, you know, uh, um, uh, logic that's being tried to pass to, to justify abortion today or transgenderism today with, you know, the mutilation of children's bodies and these things. And so, you know, it's very important that there, there is a standard. It is, it is uh, the, uh, um, the word of God. It is the law of God. And this forms the basis of our moral framework that we live by. We're not trying to force people to be believers, but this is where we get our understanding of what absolute morality is that then creates a just society. You know, you wrote a book. Man, you're so smart. Wow, I got a lot more I studying to do. I hang out with people like you. That's, that's what it does. It. I got a lot more studying to do. Thank you. But I appreciate your clear view and, and answers to a lot of this. You know, they're difficult questions. Yeah. You know, none of this is easy. None, none. none. It's hard to have conversations yeah. that are literally separating relationships. Yeah. Marriages are falling Tearing apart. Tearing families apart. Yeah. It's, it's real. Yeah. You know, yet you had the guts mm. to write a book titled Woke Jesus. When I looked at this title, which, by the way, you can order right now. All you have to do is go to lucasmiles.org or you can go to Amazon, yeah. Barnes & Noble's. Go buy the book. Give it to someone that you love. Start a conversation. And I love how you explained it on the Jim Baker Show. Uh, and uh, man, someday we'll have to just spend time on how to approach people. Yeah. Uh, but I'm noticing with this title, I'm noticing that a lot of the 80s babies and 90s babies that were raised in the church, and I wrote it down, are dealing and they're walking away from Christianity. They're the ones that are pretty much putting the label of wokeness in the church or yeah. acting woke because they have what you said, and I'm going to quote you, post-church disorder. Yeah, post-traumatic church Post, disorder. Yes. yes, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Post-traumatic, because the trauma of what they experienced in the 80s and 90s in yes. the church, they're the same ones that are telling you white men are evil, white preachers should apologize, da-da-da. Do you feel like that experience was one of uh, part of the rebirth yeah. of the wokeness inside of the church? It, it definitely created the opportunity for it to to get embedded in people. Uh, I think that there was a lot of things that led up to it, which I go through all the history there in the book. But but I think it, it gave it the opportunity. And here's what I'll say about that is, you know, I, I think that, you know, and I went through this myself. I mean, there are probably a lot of people out there that you had a difficult experience in church, you know, and, and there's a pendulum that swings. So here we have, when you look at, at culture, um, when culture is, you know, pushing more towards a Judeo-Christian morality, uh, the church tends to, um, you know, respond to that in a way where uh, they might move into more of a time of grace. 
you know, because because the 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 nation is is uh, is you know sort of you know celebrating the laws of God. When you have a nation that starts pushing into licentiousness and sinfulness and depravity, the church tends to go more towards elevating the truth of the gospel of and the truth of the the, the of you know God's standards in or in contrast to that that culture. And so, what tends to happen is that pendulum swings back and forth, and we tend to overcorrect as Christians. So, you know, you and I grew up at a time where the church was, you know, we could say was in a time of legalism. Mm-hmm. And so like we were searching for the grace of God and like, you know, and really hearing that God loves you. You know, this is why Pastor Jim, I think, you know, really that God elevated him because he was teaching the love of God in a time where the world needed to hear it. Well, now we have this pendulum that has swung and cultures changed mm-hmm. and cultures got to the point to where, you know, um, it, the entitlement is set in, lawlessness has set in. And so now the church needs to give a message of, but there's a standard, but there is a, but there's a thing called truth. He still loves you by grace through faith, but you, but, but you, you're not allowed to just, you know, create your own morality or create your own standards here and go against God in this way. And so what I'm fearful is that we're going to overcorrect and legalism is going to set into the church again. Oh, And we're going to be in this cycle. But what you're saying is that pattern gave an opportunity, I think, for people who were hurt, that didn't process their bitterness and offense properly, they didn't have people around them to really say, look, I'm not going to let you stay in that place. You know what? Man might have hurt you. You know, a legalistic guy might have, you know, came in your life and hurt you in some way. You might have been abused somehow. But that's not the Lord, and we're going to push deeper in the Word, and we got work to do. What, what do you say, because I'm thinking as you're talking, the deconstruction movement yeah. is birthed out of that as well. Yes, 100%. Right? So, so deacon, there's a term for a positive form of deconstruction in scripture. It's called repentance. And so, you and, know, you just got a lot of people <laughs> mad, right? <laughs> and, oh, and see, look, so what deconstruction is, deconstruction assumes that these foundational things in scripture, that there's things that are wrong that I can't trust, and I need to move outside of this in order to find truth. That's deconstruction. That's a Marxist framework. Okay, it was it was invented in Marxist uh, uh, ideology to tear down. And the reason why is because Marx uh, uh, and I, you know, I go through the history of this, but Marx believed, and and later the Marxists after him, you know, continued this. Marcuse and these other, you know, Horkheimer and other thinkers <laughs> that they believed that these issues were systematic systematically um, uh, present within the system of, of the, the society itself. So these thinkers like Horkheimer and Marcuse and others, they believed this idea that, that the oppressive nature of society mm-hmm. was, was literally baked within the framework of that society. And so you couldn't, you couldn't just improve upon it, you had to tear it down. And so the same idea of deconstruction is basically stating that within, within theology, within Christianity, within the gospel itself, are, is this oppressive nature, so we have to get rid of it. Th- that, that's contrary to Scripture. What Scripture calls us to do is Scripture calls us to renew our minds, that I'm not trying to deconstruct Scripture, I'm trying to deconstruct myself the ways that are not of God in order to bring my thoughts back in line with His. It's called repentance. In this book, you write about critical race theory. God and race. You talk about true religion, not the genes, true religion and the new morality of the left. What do you write about in that chapter? Yeah, so this is this is some fascinating stuff. So in, in um, uh, under the Obama administration, the Democratic Party got together and they actually they, were, they made a big deal about they were crossing God out of the party platform. They all stood up and applauded at their you know their party meeting and everything. 
And, and that, that language has changed very quickly. The, what, and this, the problem is conservatives haven't realized it. Conservatives still see the left as the godless party. And this is kind of the point of this book. The left has embraced Jesus, not the Jesus of Scripture, but the Jesus of their own making, the Jesus of their own imagination, this woke Jesus. And this woke Jesus, I'll tell you what, he's, he's, he's double masked, he's triple vaxxed, he'll bow the <laughs> knee to BLM, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll just, he'll do whatever he's got to do because he's woke, right? And, and they're using Jesus's propaganda to uphold their ideas. But the left has a morality. They're not moralists, but their morality is upside down. It is that if you really love somebody, then you'll give them the freedom to choose to have an abortion. If you really love people, then you would support open borders so anybody can come into this country. And so they're redefining love in order to justify their bankrupt policies and ultimately to divide the church so they can win an election. A theology of justice. Yeah, we so, can spend a whole hour just. Oh, on you could that. spend several hours on that one for sure. I mean, look, uh, there. If we're going to. It's not enough to just, you know, like we could talk about this as believers and celebrate these ideas and these things. But if you're ministering to somebody who is woke or somebody that is a leftist and you just, you know, they, they don't want some easy answer that you have to be able to deal with this because the question on their hard side is, what are you going to do about the injustices of this world? And the, to, to boil that down, here's the reality. You hear a lot about this idea of intersectionality in, in wokeism, that, uh, and it talks about the levels of oppression that people experience. Jesus is the true intersectionality. He is where the sinfulness of humanity and the righteousness of God met, and he, he's the one who rights the wrongs. He's the one that is the true answer to the injustices of the world because he is the God of justice and ultimately will oversee that true justice is carried out in the end. I guess I should have asked you this question at the beginning. I'm, i I got to learn how to interview people. <laughs> You're doing great. This is a good. I think, and you made me think in one of the interviews you gave, and you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, that wokeness takes away from suffering mm. for Christ. Yes. What yeah, did yeah. you mean by that? That, that shocked me. This is, it, I, it's one of my favorite things to present because I think it's one of the most compelling reasons why Christians should turn from critical race theory, from wokeism, of course, from critical th queer theory. Now we have critical fat theory where people are saying that, you know, it's skinny people are, you know, because the couch is, is too tight and these things that you're oppressing me. I mean, just, just, it's all Marxism. It's all, it's all code for Marxism. Wokeism and critical race theory robs Christians of the ability to be able to suffer for Christ. Because, you know, if, if you said that the reason why you're persecuted or, or that you suffer in this world is because of your skin color, that means that it's not because of Jesus. And so if my suffering is because of my skin color, because of my country of origin, because of my immigration status, if my skin or if my suffering is because of my, my sexual orientation or because of my gender, um, then I never get to suffer for Christ. The only thing that we can give the Lord in this life that I cannot give him in eternity is, is obedience and, and, and basically praise in the face of suffering. Wow. And so when I'm suffering, if I claim that I'm suffering because of some sort of physical aspect of myself, then I've just robbed from God the one gift that I can give him in this life that I can't give him in heaven. Man. Wow. Wow. Would you pray for us? Yeah, I would love to. Because would love to. you're a pastor. You're compassionate. You're very educated. You understand what's happening right now. But I believe one of the greatest gifts that you have as a pastor 
is to pray for us. Mm. And would you do that? Yeah, absolutely. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're good. And Lord, I don't know who's going to watch this program and where they are in the world, Lord, but you do. Uh, to, to the guy sitting on the train watching this on his phone. Uh, to, to the family watching it with their children. Uh, to the young person just listening to the audio as they're walking down the street. Lord, I pray that you would speak truth and purpose. And Lord, most of all, that you would speak love. Father, none of these things that we share, we speak about is because uh, we have any animosity or hatred towards those uh, that don't understand these concepts or those that live against you. Lord, we love because you first loved us. But Lord, we stand as ambassadors, Lord, called by you to, to, uh, to go out into the world to bring this gospel and Lord, ultimately to be able to lead people to repentance into the knowledge and the truth of a true and loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would draw us in, draw us closer. Lord, may we deconstruct our wrong ways of thinking, and may we repent in the ways in which we've gone against your word, and may we come back to you, Jesus. And for those out there who are strong already, Lord, make them bolder. Lord, give them more strength to stand. For the pastors watching this, Lord, I pray that there would just be a call to action that they would take to the pulpit and not hold back, that the people-pleasing nature would die. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name. Amen. Writer, pastor, film producer, world-renowned author, Lucas Miles. The book is titled Woke Jesus, The False Messiah, Destroying Christianity. Get the book today. Amazon, or you can go to the website, lucasmiles.org. Barnes & Noble, read about it. Before you form your opinion, before you criticize, before you even attempt to go on social media and, and blast them, read the book first. Yeah. Find out where he's coming from. Find out what's happening in your church. Find out what's happening in the culture. Find out. Listen, what, what is your message? What, what's your voice? Why are you here? What is your purpose? What is your destiny? Stop being just a follower of everything and, and begin to develop the leader in you. Begin to understand how to be, you know, clear-minded from everything around you and find out what does the Bible say about you. When God has a purpose and a plan for your life, it will spin you out of the bar. It will bring you back to the cross. It will bring you back to where he had prepared a place for you. And it's tough out there. But you know what? We need one another. I suggest you go and look for him. And if you need a mentor, you need a coach, you look for Lucas. You need someone to help you understand how to navigate the success that God has given you. The message is not just for the poor. The message is for those that are successful, those that are heartbroken, those that don't understand what's happening in their life. I'm a guy from East L.A., California. I'm a former gang member from East L.A. that the world said, lock him up and throw the key away. Yet I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with his obedience. It was one of the most difficult things that I've ever done. But I'm telling you, 20-some years later, God has given me a platform to the world. An ex-gang member. It doesn't happen. You know, in the world where everyone has a podcast, in the world where everyone has social media available, yet 
God's promises are available to you today. But you got to turn from your life, your wicked ways, your, your evil doing ways, and begin to understand what message does God give a leader like Lucas to be able to disrupt the culture? Man, I got to go. I wish I can spend some more time with you. Maybe I need a podcast where I can spend hours. But I want to thank you, thank you, Lucas Miles, for being bold, being courageous, being able to be a disruptor, being able to still have compassion and a pastor for this generation. Get the book, Woke Jesus. I got to go. But remember this. No matter what you're going through, keep the faith. It's going to be all right. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.